Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 32 of the We Are Speaking Podcast. During each weekly 30-minute episode, we address some of our favorite topics, including American history and culture, government, education, and politics from a Black perspective. We're so glad you're joining us today. The podcast is brought to you by our company, the Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community. We offer branding and marketing services, including online training and one-on-one coaching to independent writers and creative and solo professionals. You can find out more at our website, teamowens313gcc.com. As a free or paid subscriber to the We Are Speaking publication, you can access the podcast episodes through the website or on your favorite podcast player. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. My name is Pamela Hilliard-Owens, and I am one of the co-hosts of We Are Speaking, in partnership with my husband and business partner, Keith Owens, who also wrote and performed the intro and outro music for the podcast. And speaking of Keith, here he is. Hi, Keith. Good to be here. Okay. Now, we decided earlier this week when we were thinking about the topic for this week, to talk about some other things we do <laughs> besides write for, write for we are speaking on a lot of politics and things like that. So we thought we'd take a, a quick respite from those usual topics and talk about some of the other fun things we do. And since one of them is going to happen tonight, I'll have Keith start out. Okay. Like Pam said, it was funny because we were obviously political junkies and like to talk about a lot of the issues that are going on. And that's important, but we actually do have another life. But and with me also, because I am a writer, I st- the things I love to do for fun also include writing because I just love to write. And so there is yeah, there is an event tonight here in Detroit. There is an event that's being hosted. It's been going on for two weeks, uh, founded by a friend of mine, Ingrid LaFleur, called Imaginarium. And Imaginarium basically is, is the first event of its kind. It's talking about Afrofuturism and Afrofuturism just deals with sci-fi and with the, the Afrofuture, essentially mm-hmm. imagining what that will be economically, politically, scientifically, what that, imagining what that will look like. And Ingrid is from Detroit. And so she was, although she no longer doesn't live here anymore, she was glad to host the event here because she loves her hometown, but also because Detroit is a good place to, probably the best place in the country really to talk about Something like that. And so she asked me, and I was very thankful to her that she did. She reached out to me to read uh, a story from my Detroit Stories Quarterly. And Detroit Stories Quarterly is a magazine that I co-founded with two friends of mine, Kurt Cornelius Fortune and his dad, Dr. Robert McTire. We started, this is our five-year anniversary that we're celebrating. And Detroit Stories Quarterly focused primarily, and I think this year we're going to just start just, just solely uh, science fiction, horror, alternative fiction, and fantasy. We mm-hmm. had have some, we did have some other kinds of stories in before. I think we're just going to keep keep it focused on those. But that's but that's primarily what we do. And we have about five stories per issue. And and like the title of it says, Detroit Stories Quarterly. It does come out every every quarter. And so the next issue will be coming out. We, we have, should be the end of April. And so the story, and I'll be reading from that tonight. So we're looking forward to that. And that'll be a very 
a fun event. So we're hoping a lot of people come out, but and and we'll get a chance to because I don't get a chance to read my stories out loud very often, and that's that'll be really fun. It'll be an interactive experience because they'll um, the audience get a chance to not only just read the story, store the story I chose uh, was it's called Dread, and I, I was when I was talking with Ingrid. I was trying to decide because obviously I've written a, a ton of stories for Detroit Stories Quarterly as well as elsewhere. So I was trying to decide which I had to go back over and fi- figure out which one I thought would be good for this particular audience, particular event, and without going over the whole thing. But Dread is just a story about a, a young boy who has more or less superpowers in his dreadlocks, and what and it's it, it did and the title is kind of double entendre. It's a dreadlocks, but also dread. And it's the fear of the other in terms of what, you know, sometimes, you know, white people and others attribute to dreadlocks and different African hairstyles right. or anything else in terms of what that, as opposed to viewing that as something to be proud of, is viewed as a threat mm-hmm. and uh, something to dread. And so this whole story delves into that in terms of what that's all about and his whole, the, the, the boy's history, where that comes from and the, the kind of the reactive things that he's went through at school. And it is fantasy. It's fantasy mm-hmm. and it's that kind of fantasy horror. So it goes into, in, in some pretty wild directions. But I think it, it also deals with obviously local Detroit is all stories and Detroit stories quarterly have to have a Detroit bent, but also it, it deals with, you know, sci-fi and, you know, and an Afro-future bent in terms of you know, issues, the things that we deal with. And, and in terms of, in terms of self-perception, I know right. I've been, uh, one of the things that Ingrid has had has been some classes and, uh, with Afrofuturism. And one of those things is in terms of last week's cl- one class last week was really interesting. And basically dealt with what she dealt with what she called the superhero self. And the superhero self is more or less what you'd like to be, how you perceive yourself now and what keeps you from being what it is that you want to be. So everybody basically had to name themselves, give themselves a superhero name, Mm -hmm. you know, and imagine and in turn and you're imagining a a society in terms of as a superhero. So what are your superpowers and what would how would you use those to create Another society. So that was a second class. Yes, that was. What, the was, what was the first class about? The first class was was basically defining, as I believe, Afrofuturism. You know, in terms okay. of we don't understand. She gave there's a lot of reading, some really heavy duty reading about about what it is. You know, mm-hmm. the stories, there was a great video by Toni Morrison. There were some other stories, pieces that talked about the economics mm-hmm. involved in terms of what oh, there was a story article we had. This was this was last week, but Afro. What's known as Afro pessimism, and Afro pessimism definitely deals with the uh, the philosophy that it's the negative side. It's basically the negative side of Afrofuturism. Afro pessimism views the fact that that black people have have never have never escaped slavery. Mm-hmm. That we're still there mentally, and that there the likelihood of us ever breaking out of that is unlikely. Right. And uh, Afrofuturism is totally the refutation of that. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that we have all the tools we need to break out of that. To mm-hmm. have that. And to have been to acknowledge our place in the world and move forward. Tomorrow's session, which is the third out of four session, is actually black magic. Mm-hmm. And that should be fascinating. But, but because what that addresses is myths. Well, actually, because no, the first class was about myths. I'm sorry. The first class was about myths and what, what are, you know, black myths and mythologies and how we deal with those and how those deal with who we are. But then black magic kind of gets back to, uh, matter of fact, the homework was what are some of the, home remedies that our families had mm-hmm. to, to deal with a cold or anything. Right. You know, and that's kind of like, kind of like, you know, black magic and where 
normally if you had went to the store, went to the CVS, whatever, but you know, the grandma had this kind of remedy or parents had this kind of remedy or uncle or aunt, you, what were some of those and using those, but looking at those in terms of, and then t- I think expanding on that argument, obviously mm-hmm. I'll know more after the class, but the way it's described is just in terms of those m- m- things that we've always heard of the things that offer healing that are off the books, <clears throat> that are off the script, mm-hmm. you know, that come from another reality, that come from another world, mm-hmm. and that and that also work to heal us. And so I think that'll be interesting. So it examines all these different kind of things. And I think that what I was excited about with having the choice stories quarterly included in that is in, in, in being a part of what the whole discussion is right. in, in terms of black science fiction and black fantasy. Mm-hmm. And because Detroit, Detroit Stories Quarterly, there's no other uh, magazine like it in Detroit. I don't right. think there's too, uh, another one like it too much of anywhere, really. But there's definitely nothing like it in Detroit, and I don't think anywhere in, in Michigan, where we're just focusing on sci-fi strictly on a Detroit angle. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think what she was looking at was she was an early supporter of Detroit Stories Quarterly when, when we first came out. Mm-hmm. And so because I think she felt that that fit into what the work that she was doing, because she she this is her full-time gig is a basic in Afrofuturist. I right. mean, she's made a, a career of classes and, and studies and everything, promoting and educating people about that and other things. Related. What did she do when she was over on the continent? I know she was there for that a long was, time. That, that was part of that too. Okay. Do you know what she did while she was there? I don't know all the details. I mean, I know that, I know that she, well, I know she was there for the year of return. And I, and explain what the year of return is. The year of return, as a matter of fact, she described it in a good way. She said, based in a funny way, she said, year of return was really Ghana seducing African Americans to come back. You know, right, right. <laughs> just to come back, all establish our business ties there, mm-hmm. et cetera. But that, that's, but in, in a way, that's, it's, it's funny way she said it, but it was also true in right. a sense. That because because a lot of us know about Ghana as the location from which slaves were transported, right. the, door, the, the, the door of no return. door of no return, mm-hmm. and so that also because it's like the year of return, but it's it's returned the other way, right? You know, right. so it's the door of no return, and this, this is the year of return, mm-hmm. and so that's the reason why many African Americans go to Ghana mm-hmm. uh, is is, is uh, for that, I mean, right. and as she describes it. The year of return was just inviting African Americans to come back to reestablish ties to home, right? And that's also one of the things that we t- talked about in terms of myths and mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, when we had the discussion a couple of weeks ago, was that, and I brought up the point that I'm originally from Denver and then moved to Detroit. And when I moved to Detroit, everybody from Denver and everywhere else wondered why would I move to move to Detroit? That was right. before being in Detroit was cool, so nobody understood. Right. And then when I got to Detroit, you know, I fell in love with the city as soon as I moved here. And I felt like everybody was lying to me because they hadn't seen <laughs> what it was. And, right, you know, right. But the, but the parallel with Ghana was that even now, unbelievably, there's still a lot of us and and people black and white, mm-hmm. uh, but um, not surprisingly white, but with blacks who who view who may brag about going to Paris and London. And right. There's nothing wrong with Paris and London. That's fine. But who would never set foot in Africa? Right. Who would never want to go to Egypt or to Ghana or to other places in Africa because they have this vision of what Africa is. Not like Tarzan. Yeah, right. Exactly. Not understanding that, that Africa is a total. I mean, Af- Africa is much closer to Wakanda than Tarzan. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, is, is, you know, is a completely modern civilization. You still have the traditional societies that are there. I mean, right. they're still there. But Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, you know, Ghana, on and on and on are totally modern 
society. You're right. And, and the view that they don't, they don't want us there. That's, mm-hmm. that's not true. And so I think that that is what the year of return was too, is to come and find out the truth for yourself. Exactly. See what's really exactly. here. See what mm-hmm. Ghana, what Africa is really, is really, a, and plus also understand that Africa is not a country, it's a continent. I know. I'll never yeah. forget this. This was a 20, 20 or something years ago. I think it was Miss America or Miss Union, one of, one of those pageants. And they asked a white contestant, what country would she look forward to visiting? And she said, Africa. Right. Africa is not a country, exactly. okay? <laughs> exactly. You know, there's so many misperceptions. And when Pam and I went to uh, uh, Morocco last year, and I got we got a lot of good uh, people who were really excited about it and mm-hmm. loved the pictures we took, et cetera. But I, I still had a couple of friends of mine. They were wondering, you know, how will we be received? I'm like, what makes you think? Right. That automatically, that they're going to mm-hmm. hate us or not, right? Cause, you know, or the problem with the, them being a Muslim country. Right. And if that was an issue. Right. It's like, that's not, that's no, not mm-hmm. the issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's and, like you, you forget, you're forgetting, you're forgetting where you're from. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And what we found out when we were in Morocco, and we went to Morocco because, uh, Keith's friend, uh, from first grade lives there now, and she invited us there. And so that's why we went to Morocco. And Keith has been to Egypt, but that, Morocco was my first time to, to the continent. And I will never forget, we were in a shop and I was buying some scarves for my daughters. And we got into a discussion with the uh, shop, with the shop owner. And when I told him this was my first time coming to Africa, he, he put his hand over his heart and said, welcome home. And so contrary to a lot of opinions, North Africans believe that they are Africa for the, for the most part. Uh, there's racism everywhere, but North Africans, they believe that, you know, the, the people in Morocco, they call themselves Afri- Africans. And when they were in the World Cup, we were rooting for them. They got all the way to the near the end before they lost, but we were rooting for Morocco because we had just been there and I uh, saw what a beautiful, beautiful country it is. And yes, it is a Muslim country, but it's one of the more modern Muslim countries and they, uh, they, um, welcome everybody, all religions and all of that. And so, and, and, and the people wear, wear anything from shorts and all that to full burkas. So, and so it's, it's everything. So it was a beautiful, a beautiful thing, but we're already halfway through. So tell them where they can find Detroit Stories Quarterly. Yeah. You can find Detroit Stories Quarterly online, just like it sounds, mm-hmm. DetroitStoriesQuarterly.com. Right. And so that's, that's our, that's our website. Mm-hmm. And uh, also I will, we give a plug because she supported us for Ingrid LaFleur for, for, first of all, I think I, her site, Imaginarium, mm-hmm. you can get there, imaginarium.love. Okay. So it's you know, imagine, I-M-A-G-I-N-A-R-I-U-M. Mm-hmm. Imaginarium, like it sounds, dot love. And that talks up, and there you can see the classes and mm-hmm. what it's all about. It's a beautiful, beautiful site. Right, right. But yeah, Detroit Stories Quarterly, DetroitStoriesQuarterly.com. And if you want to send us an email, you mm-hmm. know, DetroitStoriesQuarterly at Gmail. Okay, great. And now a quick word from our sponsor before you hear from me. And like we said, the podcast is brought to you by our company, Team Owens 313 GCC. Dot com, the Team Owens 313 Global Creative Community Branding and Marketing Academy. So if you are an independent author or a creative or solo professional and you want to work on your branding and marketing for yourself, your books, and your company, make sure to, to uh, uh, join us on the website teamowens313gcc.com. We have online training for, for independent authors and creative and solo professionals. And we have a one-on-one coaching if you'd like me to coach you independently. So you can find out all the information at Team 
Owens313GCC.com. Now, I am a writer and Keith is a writer, but my daughter, my oldest daughter is also a writer. She's a writer and a poet. And now she is a librettist. And then a librettist is a person who writes the words of an opera. Last weekend, actually March 16th through 18th. So it was last Thursday, Friday and Saturday. I went to to St. Louis because the Opera Theater of St. Louis uh, produced and showed a, a new opera that was written by that was written by all people of color, black people and Asian Americans. There were and and my daughter was a librettist for the first part of the opera. There were three separate twenty minute stories, and it was absolutely amazing because there are not a lot of black operas. There are not a lot of black people in operas, not nearly as much as there should be. And so it it was what happened was this this organization called the New Works Collective, and what the New Works Collective is is exactly what it sounds like. It was a collective of people from all over the country who proposed an opera that would be produced by the Opera Theater of St. Louis. And they got together and they worked on it for a year before it it opened last Thursday. So they worked on Zoom, and this includes my daughter, they worked on Zoom, and it had the the librettist, the composers, because opera is words and music, and, and dancers and the opera singers were just, oh, amazing, amazing. For Purposely went on closing night, because I knew closing night would be special. It was, it was only three nights, that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so the, the New Works Collective is has all these stories in search for identity. And the this exp, exploration is an antidote to what appears to be a world in cultural fragments. The New Works Collective in the opera industry is an artistic and cultural North Star that illuminates empathy and the pursuit of common ground. The storytelling serves as a powerful psychological bomb that opens the mind and the heart to the power of celebrating difference, as it is only through the celebration of our differences that we create the beautiful, rich tapestry of our nation. And so, like I said, there were three different 20-minute acts, acts, completely different stories. And that was what was so interesting about it. The first one was the one that my daughter uh, wrote for, and it was called Cook Shack. And it was about a, a, an 11-year-old uh, black student named Deo who struggles to fit in at school. She wants to be seen, but her fellow students dismiss and bully her. One day, the students take a field trip to St. Louis's Griot Museum. When they arrive, Deo sees three black figures in the Superheroes of Invention ex- exhibit. Annie Turnbow Malone, inventor, philanthropist, and the first black woman millionaire, Marie Van Britten Brown, nurse and inventor of the first home security system. I bet you didn't know that, did you? And Dr. Patricia E. Bath, ophthalmologist, inventor of laser cataract surgery, and the first black woman to receive a patent. Each of these women comes to life and speaks to Deo about their experiences and how they found their power. And then an inspired Deo, remember she's an 11-year-old girl, begins to believe in herself for the first time. And it was just, the voices of the opera, well, they were opera singers, but the voices were just amazing. And then the second, second piece was something I had never heard of, but it's a true story. And it's called Slanted, an American rock opera. Simon Tam and his lawyers stand before the Supreme Court, fighting for Simon's right to trademark the name The Slants 
for his Asian American rock band. This is a true story. Simon was there that night because he actually had an Asian American rock band that he and his friends named the Slant for the Slanted Eyes. And they were told that that was a hate speech word. And it said, but wait a minute, it's our name for our eyes. And they, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And so they get to the Supreme Court and Simon's lawyer can speak, but Simon can't speak for himself, for how he's feeling. But it turns out that the the Solicitor General appears to be swaying the court, the Solicitor General against Simon. But our heroine, the 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 famous, infamous RGB, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg intervenes. And as she delivers her opinion on the importance of free speech and justice, Ruth and Simon dance. In the end, Simon knows this fight is worth the effort. And so they were able to retain their name because uh, they, uh, they, they couldn't, the, the court wasn't convinced that if they name something after their actual identity, it's not, it's not hate speech. And so that was exciting. And then the third one was called Madison Lodge. It's in the summertime of 1928. X, that's the person's name, has just arrived in Harlem after a long trip from their home state of Alabama. When they reach their sister's house, X explains that they left to find freedom and live their truth. And X is really non-binary. That's why the name is, is X and they're talking about, they use the pronouns there. Sister assures X that Harlem is the perfect place to realize those dreams and hands X an address. When X travels there, they arrive at a drag ball hall called Madison Lodge. It's a place where they can finally be safe and free. Sister comes out of the dressing room as a drag king and X is in awe. They feel a spark of inspiration. However, before long, the police barge in and arrest people, including Sister. But the people of Madison Lodge come together to raise funds to get her released. X feels a sense of solidarity and family in this. Days later, an empowered X decides to perform, and unbeknownst to them, Sister is in attendance. She sees that X has embraced Harlem as their home and even more importantly, has embraced themselves. And that is especially timely knowing what's going on with drag balls these days and drag queens and they're trying to make them to be criminals and groomers and pedophiles when when that's the farthest thing from the truth. So each one of the uh, three three parts of the opera was completely different, but but. It told its own story, and it was just, it was a sold out every night. The first night, opening night, a congressional representative, Cory Bush. How many nights were there? Three nights, nights. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So Thursday was opening night, and Representative Cory Bush of Missouri was there, and she was blown away. She said, I've never been to an opera before. And so she explained how important it is for our voices to be heard in this musical thing. And it was, you know, way of music. And I have heard about, I have met, we went to one last, last fall. We went to see Malcolm. Malcolm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was excellent. But there are not enough of them. And the fact that this was, when they say New, New Works Collective, these people had never met each other. They might have heard of each other or some of them might have met, uh, worked with each other. In, in other things, but it was the first time it came together. And they did not wor- work in person until December. They'd started working together on Zoom last June because they had, they had to, a matter of like 138 people applied and there, and theirs was accepted. And so then they started putting everything together last June. And then they finally started working together in person in December. Cause I remember my daughter having to go to St. Louis every couple of weeks or so. And uh, so they did all, all the marketing and all of that. And it was funny because my daughter told me that the creative director for the Opera Theater of St. Louis did not attend. 
He does not like change. He thought that was too far off the rail of real opera, and he was not there. But everybody else on the board and as part of the organization of the Opera Theater of St. Louis, they were there. And and, and the top person, I guess the executive director or the chair or, or whatever of the organization, he went every night. And he really, really enjoyed it. And it was, and so it was just so much fun and so invigorating and so enlightening to see opera from people of color, black people, Asian people, and black LGBT people. That was the the three different ones. And then after closing night, Everybody went to a karaoke bar a couple of miles away from uh, where the performance was being held. And we had so much fun. I've never been to a karaoke bar before. But two of the singers, the opera singers, now I remember I had just seen them sing opera. They got on, got up on stage. Remember, this was karaoke and, and gave a throwdown rendition of, and I am telling you, I am not going. And remember, these are real, real singers. I mean, they brought the house down. We had so much fun. And then the director, the stage director for the entire opera for all three parts, the next song that came up on the karaoke screen was Bohemian Rhapsody. Everybody knows that song. And so he he directed the whole audience that was at the bar in Bohemian Rhapsody. And so you got to see the cast and the crew in an entirely different light than on stage. And I say all that because both both Keith and I work with creative people all the time. And so to see, so to see this as one of the epitomes of a creative organization, a creative collection, and they call themselves New Works Collect because this is new, this is different, and there are so few actual operas. There are musicals and things like that, but actual operas with actual opera singers and black opera singers, and it and it uplifted people. The first one, the one my daughter did, those were real people that in, that inspired real women, scientists and inventors who inspired the young the, the woman that was paying the young eleven year old girl. And then, like I said, the second one, which was called Slanted, that was a that took years. That took years. The the uh, Simon, the guy who who was in the lawsuit, he said, "I was a twenty-something-year-old with a guitar, and I had a rock band, just like a lot of kids my age." But we named it after what we look like. We have slanted eyes, and we called it the slants. And how dare someone say that we cannot name ourselves? for ourselves. And so that was the whole thing. And then, and then, of course, behind the cast, they had slides of different things that, that pertained to the actual opera. And when a slide of Ruth Bader Ginsburg came on the wall, everybody gave a standing ovation because she, she's one of our favorite, our favorite, um, Supreme Court justices, of course. And then the woman who played Ruth and, and sang for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It was, it, it, this was a week ago almost now. And I'm still getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Yeah, I think it was, like I said, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to make it, but it just, it's funny to me when you talk, was it the director didn't like it? Who was no, it? no, no. The creative, the creative director for the opera, opera theater of St. Louis. Was the one that didn't come. He did not yes, come. This is the thing that's so interesting to me because how, how can the creative director not appreciate creativity? Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, I mean, anything, if it doesn't change, if you don't allow creative people to create, it dies. Right. Okay. And I, and I'm mindful of the people who got upset with Bob Dylan when he brought up electric guitar. Right. You know, or Miles Davis when he went into fusion. And when it talked to Miles, Miles, you know, Miles said, he doesn't need it. But Miles, if I want to hear that, I can listen to it on record. Right. Right. <laughs> because exactly. he did it. Right. He's moving forward. Mm-hmm. And same thing with opera. I mean, you, you have to allow, allow the art form to create. And opera is just a story told in music. Right. That's it. it, it nobody said they had to all be Italian or all German or have to be a, be a fat lady with a Viking. Right. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, when it's not over to a fat lady. 
that he's right. It's an opera <laughs> reference. You know, if a woman's in there in a huge fur, you know, with, with Viking helmet. Right. With, 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 I mean, and that, and when a lot of, and as comical as that is, that's what a lot of people think of when they think of opera. They right. think of Pavarotti, who was phenomenal. Oh, phenomenal. You know, phenom- I mean, and other, and then with one of the few, who was the, the woman, uh, Jesse Norman. Jesse Norman, yeah, oh one my of the few gosh. black opera, mm-hmm. and there was that young woman before her, I mean, she was after her, who could sing, and, um, and her career kind of flamed out quick. I can't remember her name right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, um, but, Je- but Jesse Norman is, is well known. You know, mm-hmm. And Paul Robeson. And Paul, Ro- Paul Robeson. And they were barrier breakers as African Americans in that art form. Right. This is barrier breaking. Because now it's our story, right, right, yeah. right. And so I think that that's just an incredible thing. And 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 speaking of that, oh my goodness, we're out of time. Speaking of that, who's the guy that played Benson on TV? Uh, oh, oh, he was incredible. Sorry. Yes, yes, he played. He played in Phantom of the Opera, and the hate that he got because they said the Phantom of the Phantom and the Phantom of of the Opera should have been was a white person. Now remember the Phantom of the Opera. If you know the person's in a mask Robert the whole time, Guillaume. Robert Guillaume, right, and a phenomenal singer. But he sang in the opera of the Phantom of the Opera, and. For people who know that story, the, the Phantom wears a mask the entire time. But because he was black playing this part that they thought should only be for whites, he got all kind of hate. But of course, he brought the house down because of his incredible talent. But the whole point is that the this initiative with the New Works Collective was the first of its kind for an American opera company. And my daughter said that on opening night and on Friday night, well, actually all three nights, but especially on opening night, not only was Corey Bush there, but representatives from opera, opera organizations all over the country were there because this is something new. This was something new for an American opera to have something like this, where it literally they brought people together who were who were not and made the made the group. Right. They had to they had to apply. Then they were chosen. Then they had to get the group together. And then they had the you know less than a year because they started meeting in June and then it was in March. So it was it was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So these are two things that we that we do and experience other than talking about politics and Republicans. <laughs> but but we just wanted to let you know that, and you can tell how excited we are about both of those things. Yep. So, and we'll, we'll talk to you next yep, week. See you next week.